The final week of the 2019 veto session is now over. Pension fund consolidation, ethics reform, cleanup of the state's marijuana legalization law, and infighting about a proposed Chicago casino were just some of the things that kept lawmakers busy. We'll talk about what happened and what didn't happen in this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a weekly podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. I'm Rebecca Ansel. And I'm Jerry Nowicki. Veto sessions in Illinois are not usually filled with much action. Supposedly, the purpose is to deal with vetoes the governor issued after lawmakers adjourned in the spring. But this year, Governor J.B. Pritzker really didn't issue that many vetoes. But lawmakers found ways to keep themselves busy anyway, and one of the biggest accomplishments was passage of a bill to consolidate roughly 650 suburban and downstate police and firefighter pension funds into just two, one for police and one for firefighters. As Governor Pritzker said at a news conference right after the bill passed the Senate, that was an issue that had eluded lawmakers for more than 70 years. And it's important because, like most pension funds in Illinois, these funds are massively underfunded. If you add up all the money in them and factor in how much they can earn from investments over the next 20 or 30 years, there isn't nearly enough money there to pay for all of the obligations they've already incurred. The idea of rolling all of those separate pots of money into one or two big pots is to give them more investment flexibility so they can earn more money and reduce the administrative cost of managing them. Here's Governor Pritzker explaining why this matters to average Illinoisans, even if they're not police officers or firefighters. Let me tell you why this matters to people all across the state of Illinois. Uh, Your local property taxes are significantly being affected and and, uh, raised uh, in many cases because you've got to deal with local fire and police pensions uh, to make sure that you're bringing them up to appropriate funding status. What we've done here is to allow the markets to help fund these funds, to make sure that the markets are helping us reduce the property tax burden on people and that we're reducing the cost of managing those funds, which also comes out of the local property taxpayers' pockets. So that sounds pretty good, but, and there's always a but, there was something else in the bill that riled a number of Republicans a benefit enhancement for people in the so-called Tier 2 system. Those are people hired after January 1, 2011, who were put into a different pension system that offers significantly smaller benefits. Here's State Senator Jason Barrickman, a Bloomington Republican, speaking on the Senate floor Thursday. Property taxpayers are demanding relief, and you've proposed a pension consolidation plan that may generate some relief. Separate of that in your bill is a pension benefit enhancement. Property taxpayers, I have not found a property taxpayer who is demanding this body enhance pension benefits. Now, a lot of Republicans voted for the bill anyway. Barrickman wasn't one of them. And one of the big reasons why is because there wasn't even any financial analysis of how much that enhancement is going to cost. But it's about to be signed into law, and it marks one of those rare occasions in Illinois when... It looks like, at least, the state has done something significant to fix at least one of its pension fund problems. Another big issue that came up was ethics reform. With two state lawmakers recently indicted, 
and at least one other, the focus of a sprawling federal probe into public corruption in Illinois, the words ethics reform were on just about everybody's lips. So, Jerry, you covered the ethics reform debate in the final day of the session. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, the Republicans, most of them ended up getting on board with the commission that they created and some greater lobbyist disclosures that are required under a pair of bills that passed. But uh, all of the Republicans that spoke said it was basically window dressing. Um, It doesn't really cut at the heart of the ethical problems that we've seen at the Capitol. Um, Still a lot of questionable uh, acts are still allowed under Illinois law and... um, they said the commission that was created in one of the laws, which would be have 16 members, uh, would have a Democratic slant because the people uh, appointed to it are from the Attorney General's office, the Secretary of State, both of which are, of course, controlled by Democrats at the time. And then there's governor appointments and then two each for each of the legislative leaders in each the House and the Senate. Okay, so they formed this task force that's going to look at a lot of different ethics reform proposals. They also passed a minor thing dealing with reporting requirements on statements of substantial interest. Right, and that bill uh, itself uh, was weakened throughout the day Thursday uh, when it was heard in committee early in the day. They removed a part that would have created a greater lobbyist or greater, it would have created greater uh, disclosure requirements for lawmakers and their economic interests. Okay, so it looks like all of the substantive ethics reform measures are going to be put off to this commission to study. At one point during the week, you were part of a press gaggle that sort of cornered Senate President John Cullerton. Uh, Let's listen to what happened in there. So are you saying you're not going to recommend any or pass any ethics legislation unless it's recommended by the task force? No, because, as you just heard, were you in the the committee? I was. Yeah, Senator Staines talked about some bills that would be passing today if they come out of the house. One of those... Um, you see what I'm saying? There's a, you've got low-hanging fruit, if you want to call it that. And then people have different definitions of what that is. We're, we're passing today, hopefully. And then you've got the commission that would study recommendations for other legislation. One of the elements about lobbyists is, uh, we've seen it time and again, kind of that revolving door of uh, lawmakers not being lawmakers anymore, then going to be lobbyists. Why not have a cool-down? You know, I think that's a good idea that the commission... Would. We might even expand this to cover some of the more controversial issues about, you know, maybe news organizations, whether who funds them, that sort of thing. Because you know, fake news could be something else that we might want to might be undermining democracy. That, so that could be expanded as well. Okay, so that last question came from a reporter from the news service called Center Square. Uh, Jerry, did it sound like uh, he was serious about about that, or was he just giving a reporter a hard time? He was definitely giving the reporter the hard time. Uh, it's just, you know, he was joking about that, possibly joking about that during his official capacity as Senate president, you know, in the state house, which is troubling anytime you hear something like that. Um, but I think one of the other things uh, to note from what we heard there was that the Republicans had said they believe that many of the bills they've put forward are the low-hanging fruit that should be uh, passed right now to to limit some of the conflicts of interest to really get a hold on lobbying in the state house and 
Senate President, of course, uh, said all of those were going to be studied by this commission, which reports in March. Yeah, uh, they were very upset, and many of them had introduced bills before the veto session. Those bills didn't even get assigned to a substantive committee. Uh, Let's listen to what Representative Grant Worley had to say during a House committee meeting when uh, this ethics reform package, I guess you would call it, uh, was unveiled. Okay, so there you have it, Republican who uh, really is not satisfied with this bill, but we're going to vote for it anyway. Uh, What was going on there? Was this just something you couldn't oppose? Right. I mean, it's not a step backward, but, you know, it's not the giant leap that anyone would would like it to be with two uh, lawmakers arrested and several others and lobbyists uh, under investigation by the FBI. Okay, so now let's talk about some of the things that didn't get done. Uh, Rebecca, you've been all over the tobacco issue this session. Didn't it look like coming in that uh, there was going to be something done about like flavored tobaccos and uh, uh, vaping material? What happened there? So Senate President John Cullerton, um, we all know is from Chicago. He is for a long time been a, a staunch uh, opponent to the tobacco industry Um he had, and he's one of many other lawmakers who had proposed a um, a flavor ban for vape products. His also banned um, flavor for tobacco products. That looked like it might have had some lengths because it was a Senate president's bill. Um, the first week of veto session looked like it might have gone somewhere. We left the first week of veto session um, with him acknowledging that perhaps he'd take out the tobacco portion and just leave it at a flavored ban on vape products. There was also another bill by um, Senator Terry Link. Um, he wanted to loop in vapes and other electronic smoking devices with the Smoke Free Illinois Act, so that would limit where you could smoke vapes, so not inside, not in public places, not near an entrance to a building. Those two things, at least Senator Link's bill, looked like it would get somewhere. It's just kind of changing a definition, looping it into that, that already existing law. Um, we ended session, and neither of them went anywhere. So was this just an example of where they only had six calendar days to work with here? Was there just not enough time to get around to that, or did they collapse under opposition? The pro-vaping industry had uh, an outpouring of support uh, in both weeks of veto. Um, they had a couple of press conferences. There was a rally this week. Um They had a a very large presence. Lawmakers were asking um, some tough questions of proponents of these measures. Um, And so while health advocates really tried to get these going, uh, Senator President Cullerton and Senator Terry Link really did try to to get these through. Uh, Senator Link even had um, sort of a hearing in the Senate after his bill had already cleared to try to 
get his bill quickly through in case the House acted on it, which it never ended up doing. They just didn't go anywhere. Um, health advocates speculated that perhaps um, it was the, the vaping industry's sort of outpouring of support sure. that did that. So one of the other things that you followed that ended up not going anywhere was a resolution dealing with World War II veterans uh, who were recipients of the Medal of Honor. We've only got two of those left in the United States. Tell us about what that resolution was about. So that was Senator Annie Menard. He's from Bunker Hill. That was his resolution. Um, it sort of urges the president and Congress to grant these one of those last two um, a state funeral and to urge them to be allowed to lie in state in uh, the U.S. Capitol's rotunda. Um, and, and this is a nationwide effort, too. Uh, there's been other... Uh, similar urgings from other state houses uh, to, to get the federal government to do this. And you can read about it in the Stars and Stripes military newspaper um, if, if you Google that. Okay. Well, one of the other big issues that sort of collapsed during the veto session was the proposed Chicago Casino. That was part of the massive gambling expansion bill from the spring session. But a feasibility study that was done over the summer found that the way lawmakers had structured the taxes on that casino, and it was vastly different from the way Illinois taxes other casinos, made it unfeasible. So they were supposed to come down to Springfield and fix that this fall, but it ended up falling through, even though Mayor Lori Lightfoot was here personally lobbying for it on the first day of the veto session. The only thing they ended up passing was a technical cleanup bill having to do with fingerprinting requirements and the application process for licensing other new casinos and sports wagering that the Illinois Gaming Board said it needed to follow through on the bill that was passed in the spring. Without that bill, a lot of people said funding for the $45 billion capital plan could be jeopardized because that's where the state's share of revenue from those gaming operations goes. But the city of Chicago's share from its casinos was earmarked for helping out that city's troubled pension plans. And the fact that a lot of downstate lawmakers wouldn't support the deal everyone thought they'd worked out really irritated Chicago lawmakers, especially those that had voted for the consolidation bill that we had talked about earlier. Let's listen to Democratic Representative Kelly Cassidy, who's from Chicago. To be perfectly honest, you're right. This is a simple technical bill. And the reality is this could jeopardize the vertical capital projects. But you know what else is going to jeopardize the vertical capital projects? Not having a Chicago casino. The Chicago members took the vote that didn't help our police and fire on the promise that they would be made whole later. We took a leap of faith. But this body, as someone said a moment ago, needs to stop the regionalism and take the leap of faith that will allow Chicago to move forward appropriately and responsibly with a casino that will fund the projects that are going to be built all over this state. So there were a lot of hard feelings on the House floor, and that was, in fact, one of the last things the House did before it went home. Uh, Rebecca, you were kind of listening to those final moments uh, right before the House gaveled out. Uh, it was a little bit unusual. Yeah, so um, the vote passed by, by like 10 votes um, to adjourn. It was sort of a divided vote. What the Republicans did, they called them, uh, they wanted to, usually you just adjourn the session when it's over, 
uh, when there's not any more business to handle. Uh, but what the Republicans did was they called for a vote uh, to require, you know, a, a roll call to say, you know, we went out of here with uh, outpassing ethics reforms that we really needed to do. I think Rebecca has a statement there that, that she uh, might be able to read from. Yeah, what did the Republicans say there? So I will spare everybody the very long part, but pertinent. Um, they said, House Republicans stood united and voted against adjourning veto session, asking that lawmakers remain in Springfield until meaningful ethics reforms were approved and sent to the governor. Members of the Democratic caucus instead voted to go home without passing anything substantive to improve ethical conduct in the legislature. Okay, and so there were a lot of hard feelings on the House floor. Uh, contrast that with what happened on the Senate floor where we heard uh, Senate President John Cullerton give kind of a traditional sort of closing out speech where he thanks everybody. Uh, I believe we're getting very close to finishing our business. I just wanted to thank everyone for the work they did this year. It was an historic year. When you look back on all the things we accomplished, we had a lot of good bipartisan work together. Uh, don't even need to go into the list of all the accomplishments, but uh, most importantly, the most important thing we do is pass a budget. It's as close to balance as we can get, and we did that this year. So I just wanted to thank all of you for all your work. And uh, for the Democrats, we're going to have a very short but important caucus after this uh, adjournment, but I once once again wanted to say on the floor how much I appreciate all the help from all the staff uh, and both the uh, Republican and Democrat staff working together and uh, hope you enjoy your holidays and thank you very much. Okay, so he said something rather prophetic there. He referred to a short but important caucus meeting right afterwards. What happened at that caucus meeting? Yeah, so, so during that caucus meeting, he informed his caucus that he would be retiring effective sometime in January. Um, that caught a lot of people off guard. I know the, the staffers um, that worked in the Stratton building were, were shocked. Um, I caught the governor on his way out of the state house. He said that he had found out about five minutes before I managed to catch up with him with a few other reporters. Um, he said he, too, was shocked. So message definitely was a surprise and if i can jump in there too that could explain uh as we played that quote earlier why he got a little bit cheeky with some reporters he knew he was coming towards the end of his days okay yeah good point uh so it may seem a little macabre but now that he's re announced his retirement who's next in line it looks like everybody's jockeying for position currently uh kimberly lightford is the currently the uh, majority leader she would seem like the heir apparent because she's the next highest ranking person in the caucus. Yeah, Lightford, uh, she seems interested. Um, Senator Andy Menar has obviously been a big name. He's taken a lot of big name legislation on in recent days. He's from downstate, so that could try to bridge the so-called divide between the regions. Um, who yeah. else we got, Rebecca? Well, well one thing with, with Senator Menar is that because he's a downstate Democrat, he typically doesn't vote for the more left-leaning uh, policies, for whatever that's worth. So, like, reproductive health care, gun control, he never votes for that because he can't, given the, his district. The things that come out of the much more progressive Chicago area, uh, the Chicago area Democrats. He's uh, Bunker Hill is almost in what you'd call the metro east area. His district stretches up here to Springfield. Um, but uh, you mentioned uh, Kimberly Lightford. We looked up earlier... There has, in fact, never been a woman 
hold the office of Senate President or Speaker of the House or Governor in the state of Illinois. So Kimberly Lightford would obviously draw a lot of attention. Uh, Rebecca, are there any other women in Democratic leadership who might be in line for that? Yeah, Senator Heather Staines, whom we've mentioned quite a few times, she was instrumental in the, the pot legislation. Um, she carried the budget implementation bill. She carried the lobbyist ethics reform bill. And then Senator Melinda Bush is a name that's been tossed around. She carried Reproductive Health Act. So, yeah, she's not quite as uh, out in front of things as perhaps some other names that, that have been tossed. But um, she's, she's very involved in the, the Women's Caucus. So We also got Senator Harmon. He's from Oak Park, Don Harmon. He's on the far left wing of the party. He's usually behind some of those uh, proposals, which we noted uh, that uh, Senator Menar might not support sometimes, and uh, Senator Tony Munoz. Uh, oh yeah, Senator Harmon carried the uh, graduated income tax through the chamber. Oh, that's right. Um, and then there's Senator Tony Munoz, who's a member of the Latino Caucus. Um, he's sort of a more reserved guy. Um, and then L.G. Sims, who's a newer member, uh, seems to be somewhat interested. He carried a bunch of bills this year. Uh, yeah, and Senator Sims also. Uh heads up the appropriations team, too, for the Senate caucus. So. Yeah, he's involved a lot of those budgetary bills. And he was on, in the House. He was in the House for a long time. And being on the appropriations committee tends to give you a lot of power. Right. And for that matter, I mean, Senator Harmon is um, here placed Senator John Mulrow, who's now a judge, um, okay. as the chairman of uh, the Judiciary Committee, which has seemed to be sort of a launching pad for some senators uh, John John Cullerton was uh, was in that position. John Mulrow was in that position. So, and that's all the time we have for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. If you liked this show, feel free to share it on social media and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also read more of our stories at capitalnewsillinois.com. That's all spelled out, capital with an O. CapitalNewsIllinois.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.